I'm Alia Adenuga, and you're listening to Emotional Resilience for Dancers, a podcast designed to explore how mental health impacts dancers and their ability to thrive in an often very competitive and high-impact dance world. Topics discussed on this podcast will aim to support dancers by shedding light on these issues and will also offer support to studios and teachers by providing education and tools that can be used to help make safer dance spaces. It is the overall goal of this podcast to help studios and dance professionals establish business practices that are more trauma-informed and able to effectively support the mental health and emotional well-being of their students. Thanks for listening. Hey, dance fam, it's your girl, Aliyah Duga. For those of you who don't know, I am a licensed professional counselor. I am also a dancer as well as an emotional resilience and creative movement coach. And I'm also the host of this here amazing podcast that you've tuned into, uh, Emotional Resilience for Dancers. And today we're going to talk a little bit about depression. I think it would be a great place to start since there's so many uh, people who suffer in silence with depression and because there are so many people, there are also dancers that suffer uh, with depression, and we don't really hear too much about it a lot of times. uh, It doesn't feel like a safe space in the dance world to discuss it. So I want to talk about it a little bit today. Uh, So what is depression? And I'm reading this from the definition on psychom.net, as well as the criteria from the DSM-5. So Uh, Depression, otherwise known as major depressive disorder or clinical depression, is a common and serious mood disorder. Those who suffer from depression experience persistent feelings of sadness and hopelessness and loss of interest in activities that they once enjoyed. Aside from the emotional problems caused by depression, individuals can also present with with physical symptoms uh, such as chronic pain and digestive issues. To be diagnosed with depression, symptoms must be present for at least two weeks. And so now we get into the um, DSM, our diagnostic criteria. So uh, the DSM-5 outlines the following criteria to make a diagnosis of depression. The individual must be experiencing five or more symptoms during the same two-week period, and at least one of the symptoms should be either depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure. Um, And so the criteria are depressed mood most of the day, nearly every day, markedly diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities most of the day, nearly every day. Uh, Number three, significant weight loss when not dieting or weight gain or decrease or increase in appetite nearly every day. Number four, a slowing down of thought and a reduction of physical movement observable by others, not merely subjective feelings of restlessness or being slowed down. Five, fatigue or loss of energy uh, nearly every day. Number six, feelings of worthlessness or excessive or inappropriate guilt nearly every day. Seven, diminished ability to think or concentrate or indecisiveness nearly every day. Number eight, recurrent thoughts of death, recurrent suicidal ideation uh, without a specific plan or a suicide attempt or a specific plan for committing suicide. And so to receive a diagnosis of depression or clinical depression, Uh, These symptoms must cause the individual clinically significant distress or impairment uh, in social, occupational, or other areas of functioning. The symptoms must also not be a result of substance use or another medical condition. So that is the very textbook diagnostic um, criteria that we use here in mental health. But I want to talk about how it shows up for us in the dance world or how it could potentially show up uh, for dancers. 
So the way that we may see depression or depressive symptoms show up uh, for dancers, you know, in our dance students or um, in our dancers that we work with on teams, um, you know, or even in ourselves, right? There's so many different uh, areas that this can apply to, so many different um, roles in the dance world. And so uh, some of the ways that this can show up can be consistent across the board for dancers. Um, and so number one, we have withdrawn or isolated behavior. And, and I'm really speaking right now specifically to dance professionals, uh, dance studios, dance teachers, dance coaches, because uh, I wanted to give you guys tools to identify if one of your students or one of your dancers is struggling. But this is also for the dancers to identify if this is something that they're experiencing, right? Um, so number one, I have withdrawn or isolated behavior. And what I mean by that is like, you know, you may have a student who uh, engages in class often or is usually more talkative or usually, um, you know, very engaged in the dance process or rehearsal or whatever the case may be. And all of a sudden you're noticing that this person has become withdrawn, um, a lot more isolated, not really engaging, not really talking to any of the other students in the class or any of the other dancers in rehearsal, um, you know, maybe looking down when they usually look up. Uh, so, so seeing this like a shift in their behavior can definitely be a sign for you. Another sign, lack of motivation in class or rehearsal. So again, this is someone who maybe had a lot more energy, usually someone who uh, showed a lot more interest, a lot more um, motivation just to grow as a dancer and to learn the choreography and to really put everything into the dancing. And then all of a sudden you're starting to see that they're not really motivated in class, not really wanting to dance full out, not really wanting to um, be present uh, in the class or the rehearsal. Number three, negative or defeated self-talk. That's a big one. So a lot of times dancers can be very hard on themselves, especially when they are uh, stuck in the pattern of thinking where they're comparing themselves with other dancers or um, feeling like they're never going to get a specific move or feeling the pressure from an upcoming performance or competition. And so, you know, there is a difference between... Um, you know, looking at your dancing with a critical eye and, and, and really kind of wanting that objective feedback that, you know, may sometimes sting <laughs> from our dance coaches. But there's a whole nother thing when you're noticing a pattern of negative self-talk or defeating self-talk. Like, you know, I can't do this. I'm, I'm a piece of crap. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not good at this. Uh, I suck. I can't do anything right. Um, you know, or if they're talking bad about their physical appearance. So, you know, oh, I'm so fat, I can't do this. Nobody wants to see a fat dancer, um, you know, or I'm too thin, I don't have enough curves. Because, you know, in Latin dance, we tend to really appreciate um, very, uh, well, not in all Latin dance, but in a lot of it, we appreciate a lot of sensual movements. And so for some dancers who don't feel like they have the body type for that, you know, may also use that as uh, ammunition to put themselves down. So you really want to be mindful of a pattern of negative, pervasive, self-defeated talk, you know, and it's very different than criticizing or not criticizing, but I guess um, analyzing their dancing, right? So saying, oh, you know, I didn't do that well, you know, I got to work harder on this, or this is a difficult move for me, but I'm going to get it once I build the muscle memory. Um, that's very different than, you know, feeling as though you're not capable of doing anything at all, and that you have no value to add to your to your dance piece or your dance class or uh, competition or anything like that. 
Uh, number four, sudden changes in weight or appetite. We talked about that in the DSM criteria. But if you're noticing that your dancer uh, is starting to gain a lot of weight rapidly or losing a lot of weight rapidly, and that can be a very touchy thing, very sensitive to talk about, um, but certainly something you want to be mindful of if for any reason, just to kind of notice if there may be something going on with your dancer. Because a lot of times we see um, eating disorders and the dance world. And that's an entirely different topic. And we'll talk about that as well. But specifically the depression, a lot of times when you're feeling down, you're feeling, uh, you know, just maybe even numb or defeated or, um, you know, just all of those things that come into depression, sadness and all of that. A lot of times you tend to uh, increase the um, feel-good behaviors, impulsive feel-good behaviors. So that's an increase in appetite, right? Because eating feels good, right? I you listen, I'm a big girl. So I I like to call food receiving a hug from the inside. <laughs> it really feels like a hug from the inside, you know? <laughs> Fill my tummy up and I it's like a hug. But you know, and I laugh about it, but for people who struggle with depression, myself as well, you know, it feels good to to do those things. It feels good to eat things that taste good or things that make you feel a little bit better. So you don't really have to think about all the negative things you're thinking all the time, even though after you eat it, you might use that as a reason to trash yourself. And on the flip side, losing your appetite, not being able to eat, you know, being all consumed in your head and feeling like you don't really uh, do anything right and you're not worthy of anything. And, you know, that can really take a toll on a person's ability to eat. It's all come, it all comes down to uh, how they respond to those stressors. Uh, some people increase the, the eating, some people decrease. And again, you might see other uh, increases in impulsive feel-good behavior. You can see an increase in hypersexuality or even a decrease in sexual, but you guys wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't know anything about that. Dance teachers, I would hope that you're not <laughs> involved in the sexuality of your students. Um, and I'm talking about adult students. Don't even play. Uh, <laughs> or an increase in just spending money, you know, things like that. You see that with depression, but specifically in the dance world, things that you can notice, um, appetite and changes in the body can absolutely be one of them. Uh, another one, uh, inability to focus in class or rehearsal. So if there's like confusion going on, uh, difficulty being able to really understand a concept that maybe they have been able to understand in the past, looking as though they are overwhelmed with new information and new material, uh, not able to really concentrate on those things. You know, you might see some of that because a lot of times when people become depressed, it's like a mental fogginess. And so you can't really think your way out of that fogginess, especially if you have a tape recorder in your mind going on and on and on telling you how worthless you are and how much of a piece of shit you are. You can't really take much information in, you know, because you got this, all of these negative thoughts going on. And it's, it really pulls you away from being present uh, and being able to interact in the ways that are healthy and, and how you used to because you're fighting this internal war and you, it's kind of like moving through the world um, through quicksand. Everything is slow. Everything is heavy. Everything is just, um, it's just a lot. So that's one other thing that you can notice in your dancers if they start to have an inability to focus um, or their inability to concentrate in class or rehearsal. And I apologize if you guys could hear my air conditioner. It just came on. Um, 
Next one, I have loss of interest in the creative process. So this can look like a dancer who is super, super excited about um, maybe a new piece that you guys are learning. And then all of a sudden, sudden drastic change, no longer interested in the creative process, no longer inspired, uh, no longer wanting to uh, learn new things. And I guess this kind of goes back to the isolated behavior and even the lack of motivation. But this is a little bit different because it is that creative vision and we are led by it so much as dancers. It really is what drives us when we are creating artwork and when we're participating in, in new dance pieces. And so to see a shift in that attitude and to see a loss in interest in the overall creative process can certainly be a red flag for us. Um, also, if there's some irritability or oppositional attitude, you know, again, when you listen to that tape recorder all day long and it's telling you you're a piece of crap, of course, it's going to make you a little bit more irritable. So dance teachers, if you start to see your students become a little bit more irritable, uh, a little bit more oppositional, a little bit argumentative, and that's not usually what their character is, then that can certainly be an indication that there's something going on internally with them. And then lastly, unusual fatigue, aches, and pains. So we all know that dance hurts. <laughs> dance be jacking us up. Um, but if you're noticing that there are aches and pains that wouldn't really be uh, an outcome of the dance training that they're doing, um, or if the, the aches and pains are more prevalent than they usually are, or if they're causing the dancer to not be... Um, uh, to not really want to dance because they're feeling so many aches and pains... Um, and it goes beyond stretching and warming the body up. It's pretty pervasive. Um, really, really having just low energy, uh, you know, that can certainly be an indicator that there's some emotional distress that this person is carrying that they're not really processing because it does show up in the body and it, it tends to show up in the body with aches and pains, headaches, uh, or migraines, even, um, nausea, stomach aches, big one, especially with the younger students, uh, you can see a lot of stomach aches when there is some depression going on and anxiety too. But a lot of times kids don't have the language to explain to you what's going on with them internally. Um, but you'll notice that they're having more tummy aches. They're having to use the restroom more often. Um, things like that. These are, these are ways to identify if there may be something deeper with your dancers, right? All right, let's take a quick break and then I'll be back with some tools that we can use. All right, so now that we've identified some of the red flags that dance teachers, dance professionals can work to identify in their students, let's give you guys some tools on how you can support that, right? Um, so number one is recognizing those signs, maybe taking notes of some of the stuff that we're talking about here, uh, working to identify if you're seeing any of these signs in your dancers. Um, and if you are, create a plan, right? So that might look like talking to the parents if it's a, a young student, um, talking to the parents about some of the patterns that you're seeing, some of the patterns of behavior or shifts in behavior that you're seeing, um, being approachable so that students feel like they can come to you and talk to you about what's going on. And so I think a really big way of doing that is to work to destigmatize uh, mental health. And that can look like 
you know, you just being transparent about your own experiences as a human being, <laughs> you know, um, and incorporating that in, in your creative process. Uh, that can look like incorporating uh, check-ins with your students. You can have check-in activities. One of my favorite check-in activities, if we are um, working on something, you can say to your, your students, okay, I want you guys, just this go around, I want you guys to dance how you're feeling. Show me how you're feeling in your dancing, right? That may be a way for a student to express and even channel what it is that they're feeling without having to necessarily put words to it because sometimes it's hard to put put it in words and sometimes it um, they don't have the language to really put it in words and dance is their language. And so that opens up the opportunity not only for them to express what they're feeling um, in a creative manner, but also it can be an outlet for them. And it teaches them how to put that emotion into their creative process, into their dancing, which would make their dancing more authentic. So it's one of my favorite things to do, but there are many different ways that you can facilitate quick check-ins with your dancers just to kind of see where they are. Even if they're not telling you what's going on with them uh, on a deeper level, it still opens up that platform for them to feel safe enough to do it maybe later on, you know, because you've shown an interest in how they're showing up for class today or how they're showing up for rehearsal and opened up the platform for them to be able to talk about what's going on with them. Um, Another way that you can support them is just being realistic and remembering that they're human and understanding that you know, it's and this is not to say that you shouldn't push your da- your dancers. You should absolutely push your dancers in the way that you uh, do because we want them to grow as dancers. But you also want to be mindful, like, okay, if I'm going to push them a little harder today, I'm going to make sure that I certainly um, am mindful of how this person is responding to this or if I see any red flags. Um, or I'm going to sandwich it, right? Like, you can say, you know, let me give them some positive feedback. And then let me give them some, some, a critique that they need, you know, or let me push them. And then let me end it on a positive note. Let me give them something back. Let me uh, pour back into them before we leave at the end of rehearsal, right? There are ways to have that balance and to be realistic because yes, we are supposed to be pushing our dancers. um, But at the same time, we don't want to break them down if they're already struggling with something emotionally. And to be honest, we're all human. So everybody's going to have things that they're, they're struggling with at some point or another, you know, it doesn't necessarily even have to be depression. Things can be happening in that person's life. You know, they may have a sick, a sick loved one. They may have experienced the passing um, of a friend. You know, they may be experiencing stressors at work. Um, kids may be having parents that are going through divorce. There are so many things that we carry with us. Uh, and, and, you know, these dance spaces are safe spaces for us. But at the same time, I think that they can improve if we make them safer spaces to kind of talk about those things too. And again, you know, my whole stance is when we allow a person to be fully human and to be authentically themselves, the art improves overall. So it improves for everybody. Um, and so I think that these are important steps that we can take uh, to do that. Uh, now, speaking directly to my dancers. So, um, again, for many dancers, dance is a way for them to manage or even escape the throes of depression. But for some of us, depression still has a way of showing its head in our safe spaces. Um, and so some of the ways that you can manage these these uh, symptoms or manage the depression as it shows up, my favorite number one thing is to talk about it. I tend to look at depression as a uh, abusive um, person, right? Like an abusive little monster in my head. 
right? And so it gives you power. It takes your power back by talking about it. Tell on your abuser. Don't carry it in silence. You don't have to walk around feeling the way that you feel and not saying anything to anybody about it. You can absolutely talk about it, work to to make it more normalized and get the support that you need. Tell on your abuser. Depression is your abuser. Tell on it. Say, you know what? I'm feeling this way right now, or I have these thoughts right now that are going on for me, you know, or I'm having feelings of wanting to harm myself. Anything, you know, don't keep any of that private talk about it. I think you'll be amazed at how many other people can relate to what you're feeling, especially in the creative arts world. We are some emotional people. <laughs> we are emotional as hell. So you you certainly would not be, you know, in a place where you're not in good company. You're going to have other dancers who can relate. Hopefully your dance instructors will be able to talk to you about it and be an open um, avenue for you to explore ways that you can come back from this. Um, you know, if you need to see a professional, talking about it with a loved one or a friend or your dance teacher um, can help you connect to uh, a professional or help you to feel less afraid about going to see a professional, which is not a bad thing, guys, because, like, listen, I'm a professional and I am a fun therapist. I mean, not all the time. I'll be, I'll be really snatching my clients' edges, but I'm also fun. <laughs> We do good work. It's a balance. You know what I mean? But also to take that stigma away from the idea of going to see a professional counselor. It's not as scary as you think it is. It's just a conversation. The conversation is focused on how we can work together to get you back on track. But it's just a conversation. Right? So number one, talking about it. Talk about your abuser. Shine a light on that mess. Talk about it. It's nothing that you have to be ashamed of. It is not a flaw in your character as a person. Number two, Take some time off uh, from the pressure. So if you are working on a uh, performance or you're working on a competition piece or whatever the case may be, and dance starts to feel like a lot of pressure for you, take some time off. And what I love about the Latin dance scene is that, you know, by, by um, inherently, it is a social dance. Uh, it's a way for us to connect as a community. So if you're feeling the pressure from training in a studio for a competition or a scary performance or whatever the case may be, get out there and social dance and remember why you love dance. Remember what it does for you emotionally, physically, mentally, you know, spiritually. Remember that. And that's what worked a lot of times for me. You know, at first when I was in a depressive place, I would, I would just be angry and frustrated with dance. And, um, I, it kind of led to me taking breaks from dance. And, and now that I look back on it, I, I said, you know, I, I really should have been out there more. I should have got out there in social dance because it would have surrounded me by people um, who share a passion with me. It would have taken me out of my head and it would have reminded me about what I love about dancing. It would have just gave me joy because I would have taken the pressure of um competition and performance and beating this dance into my body, for lack of a better term, trying to build up that muscle memory, all the pressure that comes with that. You know, if I would have just allowed myself to get out there and just social dance and just connect with um, my people, you know, that certainly would have helped me. And so moving forward, that's absolutely what I'm going to start doing more of. I know y'all don't talk about me because I don't really be out there social dancing like I should be. <sighs> Listen. <laughs> I'd be tired, but I'm just saying that's certainly going to be one of my tools. Um, 
What's another thing that you can do? Um, you can, let's see, you can ramp up your self-care. This is really, really big. So um, we all understand the importance of self-care. It's been all the rave. Everybody's been talking about it. You know, but you really want to do those things. You don't want to compromise the way that you physically treat yourself uh, based on how you are, you're internally feeling. Because a lot of times that is what can anchor you and get you through the difficult and the dark periods, right? When you stop taking care of your physical body, when you stop eating or you stop bathing or you stop cleaning, it makes it much worse. And before you know it, you're in a much deeper hole than you thought you were in. And it all can feel like the walls are closing in on you because now you've kind of um, allowed things to pile up or you're just not taking care of yourself. If you, you know, have medical condition, you're not taking care of your medical condition. You know, you don't want to compromise your physical uh, well-being right? You want to kind of understand that this is a low for you right now. You may be in a depressive period, but it's going to pass. And what, what is it that you can do to anchor yourself to get through this period, right? Um, and so making sure you're getting up and bathing. Um, a lot of times dressing up makes you feel better. Maybe putting on makeup. My sister, she, whenever she's feeling sad, she will beat the hell out of her face. And for those of you who don't know, that means put on makeup. She'll get her most expensive, prettiest makeup. And she will sit in the mirror, she'll play music, she'll do her hair, and she'll put on makeup. And she might take a couple pictures, but it makes her feel better. It's something that reminds her of who she is when all of those depressive thoughts are trying to convince her that she's something other than who she is, right? So don't ever stop that because, you know, what it does is it tells you on a subconscious level that you are worth it, right? One of my favorite things I love to tell my clients whenever they're feeling down Make self-care a, a sacred ritual for you. Uh, and so what that can look like is, you know, make your bath pretty. You know, maybe put flowers in your water. Put a really nice essential oil. I love putting lavender in my bath water. Um, light a, a candle. Uh, you know, play your favorite music while you're, um, when you're in the bath. And then when you get out of the bath, get your favorite oil or your favorite lotion. And when you're rubbing it in, on every body part that you're rubbing it in on, speak life into yourself, right? So if you're rubbing your oil into your arms, identify what you're thankful of with your arms. I love that my arms allow me to hug people that I care about. You know, my feet, I love that my feet allow me to dance and allow me to uh, walk. Legs, I love that they're strong enough to allow me to get up and move when I need to, right? So because it's hard to feel and remember what your worth is when you're in a depressive state. So it's very helpful to um, write a gratitude list or speak those things out loud when you are going through your self-care ritual. And what that does, again, it really grounds you and anchors you to remembering who you are, even though you're going through a depressive state, right? Uh, something else that you can do, um, identify, right? So identify your triggers, identify your patterns. Uh, for me, I like to think of, again, as depression as a little enemy that I got, you know, that shows up every once in a while. So I need to learn my enemy so that I can fight my enemy. So I need to understand what triggers my enemy. I need to understand what ammunition my enemy tends to take and use against me. So for me, what can potentially be a trigger is if I start comparing myself to other people, other dancers, right? Because again, I'm in a larger body. So if I'm looking at my body and I'm looking at other dancers and I'm like, oh man, I'm a piece of crap. I'm never going to be as beautiful as that. My body is different. Nobody wants to see this. You know, if I start thinking like that, 
then I know that those those are the triggers and the ammunition that my depression likes to use against me to lie to me and tell me that I'm not worthy of being here in this place and that I don't have any value to add to the dance world when I know that that's a lie, right? So I learn the hell out of my depression so that when it shows up, I know exactly what I'm dealing with. I know exactly what is going to trigger it, what it's going to use to throw at me, and I have my counter... Um, my counteractions that I can kind of fight it back with, right? You can't fight an enemy if you don't understand what their war tactics are. So treat it as that. If this is something that shows up for you, if it's a pattern for you, because for me, I go in and out of depression. So if this is a pattern for you, then identify what that looks like for you and how you can fight that and who your support people are and what are some of the things that you can do to treat yourself with love when this stuff shows up for you, right? Um, another one, my one, another one of my favorites is to challenge it. I'm going to give you some tools here, but to challenge it with, um, DBT techniques. So DBT is dialectical behavioral therapy is something that we therapists use to stabilize our clients and it can be used for socialization issues. It can be used for interpersonal relationships. It can be used for mood disorders. It trauma is so amazing. It's, It's so helpful. But anyway, uh, you can distinguish the different, mental um, frame points that you are using, right? And so what that looks like is identifying what mental what mental frame point am I using in this in this moment, right? So if something happens that's triggering you, say for instance, somebody might say something about your dancing and you're really kind of sitting on it and you're noticing that you're uh, you're uh, ruminating on it, so you're thinking about it a lot and you're starting to use it as ammunition to put yourself down or or whatever the case may be. Identify what mental frame point you're using, right? And so in DBT, we talk about our reasonable mind or what I call the rational mind. Now, with our rational mind, we are looking at, um, we're looking, we tend to look at a situation from a very logical standpoint. We're considering, you know, all of the intellectual points about what it is that we've experienced. And a lot of times do not fall onto the emotional side of things. We're just, you know, thinking about it from a very intellectual, very logical, very reasonable place. And although this is a really... um, I guess, practical way of looking at issues or triggers or things that we're experiencing, it doesn't, it doesn't combine our full self because we are completely disregarding the emotion. We're not really taking the time to consider how we feel about an experience that we're having. And sometimes the rational mind can even become problematic if we start to use it as a means of judging ourselves. So we're thinking, I should do this. I must be this way. I should be a better dancer. I should be a better performer. Right. Sometimes that rational mind can really take on a very problematic stance if we use it to start judging ourselves harshly. Um, So that is the rational mind. On the other side of that is the emotional mind. And so when your emotional mind, when you're functioning in that space, it ain't got no rhyme or reason. You just feel what you feel. You all over the place. Right. (laughs) That's me like all the time. (laughs) So you're just emotional. You're thinking about it from an emotional place. Right. This makes me feel this way. So it must be true. I feel sad when I see this or I feel angry when I hear this. So it must be true. My anger is justified or my sadness is justified. And I'm going to function from that place because I am now a hurt person. Right. And a lot of times that can influence your behavior in ways that are not helpful to the situation at all, because now you're lashing out or now you're pushing people away or now your depression is growing because you're thinking about it from an emotional standpoint and not at all from a rational standpoint. 
Um, and then we have what is in the middle, what we call a wise mind. And so wise mind is your ability to incorporate some of the rational mind and some of your emotional mind to have a more balanced mind, right? So again, if I have somebody telling me like, you know, oh, your dancing wasn't that good this week. And I start to recognize that my depressive pattern is building around that. And I'm starting to talk to myself bad and using that comment as ammunition. Then I'm going to make sure my mind is balanced. I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to identify what that trigger was. And then I'm going to identify what my rational mind is telling me. So the rational side of my mind might be telling me this person didn't say this to intentionally hurt my feelings. You know, this has nothing to do with emotions. This is just feedback someone gave me. Or it can swing into the problematic side and it can start to sound like, oh, Aaliyah, you should be better than that. You should be thinner. This is why people are saying these things because you are not doing as well as you should be doing. You have to improve. You have to just work harder. You know, that's, so that would be an example of my rational mind and also an example of how the rational mind could fall into a problematic, judgmental, uh, and toxic space. And then on the other hand, my emotional mind is like, oh my God, this person hurt my feelings. Why would they say that to me? They're such jerks. I'm, you know, I'm worthless. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. You know, that's my emotional mind talking to me. So my wise mind, how can I use the two? All right, so I understand from my rational side that I need, I might need to work a little bit harder. I might need to reassess my approach to dancing this piece. Maybe there's something I can do better. My emotional mind is telling me this hurt my feelings. This made me feel sad when this person said that. But my wise mind says, okay, but it wasn't a personal thing. This person wasn't trying to harm me. You know, this person gave me feedback. Maybe this person wants to see me grow as well, or maybe this person didn't, you know, um, understand how I would take that feedback that they gave me, right? So I understand that this makes me a little bit sad when, when I get feedback like this, and I also understand that there are, are things that I can do differently. So how can I not allow myself to fly off the handle into an emotional space or completely start beating myself up from a very judgmental, rational place? How can I balance that out? and move forward. Okay, so let me work a little bit harder and let me also honor how I'm feeling. So maybe that might be a discussion with the person to say, hey, you know, I really like feedback, but when you give me feedback like that, it kind of throws me off my game, you know, or maybe that can be motivation for you to say, well, I don't like feeling this way when I get feedback. So let me figure out how I can reapproach the situation. Maybe I can switch up some of my moves to make it a little bit better. Um, for my next performance. Let me, you know, it's not tearing yourself down, but using these different mind states to kind of inform how you can very, in a very balanced way, move forward and not allow yourself to sink into these mind states or these mental states that are going to throw you completely off. Um, because if you go into those mind states, it's not helping nobody. If you sink into your depression and you're functioning from your emotional mind, that's not healthy and it's not good for any of your relationships because now you are coming from a place of being a victim and you're reacting in that way and it's influencing your behavior. Um, and on the other end, you know, again, you're beating yourself up on a rational side. You don't feel like you're ever going to get it. Of course, if you're beating yourself up and you're striving for perfection, it's it's not it's not possible because perfection doesn't exist. So it sets you up to feel defeated, which further maintains that depressive mind state. So write this down, y'all. You got your rational mind, which is full of judgments, and you have your emotional mind, which can be very irrational. What does your wise mind look like in the center? What does that look like? 
How do you bring a little bit from both sides, but in a balanced way so that you can make the best decisions and move forward with the best behavior um, as a result from the trigger that you've experienced, right? Um, And to take it even a step further, I like to incorporate the creative wise minds. And what that means is now how do I take all of this information? I'm in a more balanced state in my wise mind, but now how can I use that to fuel my creative process? How can I use the emotions that I have for my emotional mind and, you know, the rational statements or the, the um, maybe uh, uh, healthy critical statements that I can use to pour my emotion into my dancing uh, so that it can become better, right? So taking it a step further, how can I make this a part of my creative process? How can I grow from this, right? So th- this is a way that you can respond to triggers as opposed to allowing yourself to fall back into um, mental frame points that are not healthy for you, right? I'm going off on a tangent. Um, but another thing that you can do, reality testing. Reality testing is huge. If you start to, this is what I use whenever I'm starting to have negative thoughts, right? So if I say, oh my God, I'm worthless. My, my dancing is crap. I'm fat. I can't do anything. Okay, so let me test the reality of that. <laughs> let me explore the evidence of that. What evidence do I have that I am uh, you know, not a good dancer. Sure, I have evidence that I'm fat. Yes, I'm in a larger body, but what evidence do I have to support those statements that I'm telling myself that are beating me down, right? If I explore it, the feedback that I've gotten from dance has been positive. When I dance, the audience cheers, you know, they, they enjoy my dancing. I get positive feedback from my dance, my dance coach, A lot of my dance peers tell me that I inspire them when I dance. So all of my evidence is proving otherwise. And that that points out and really shines a light on the fact that I'm I'm lying to myself, that this depressive mind state is lying to me, uh, and that these these feelings that I have, these thoughts that I'm having are not true. Right? So use reality testing. Really explore it. Really explore the evidence that you have to support these negative statements that you tell yourself. And you'll find a lot of times that there really isn't much that you that you have. And that and that tells you whether or not it's irrational. You know, take a look around, look at your life realistically and say to yourself, listen, I don't really have no evidence to support these shitty things that I'm saying to myself. Right? And that's a way to kind of pull yourself out of it. And the last thing I'm going to end with is mantra, um, a mantra or a positive affirmation. It's helpful for you to identify, and I'm sorry if y'all hear that, my, my boyfriend is closing doors in the background, <laughs> but um, a mantra, make yourself a personal statement of affirmation to pull yourself out of it, right? So whenever you're starting to feel negative, have your mantra so that you can put yourself in a better place. So for me, I start to get really, really nervous um, and really down when I'm feeling um, bad in my body, when I'm not feeling strong and I'm feeling like I can't trust my body, right? So I'll say to myself, you know, I am in control of my body. I'm in control of my body. I am capable of doing all that I set myself out or set my mind to do. Just a little mantra that I tell myself to remind myself that I am worthy, that I am strong, and that these these feelings that I have are not my truth, right? So these are just some of the, the tools that I wanted to give uh, specifically to dancers or anyone who is experiencing uh, some depression and trying to function in a creative space. Um, you know, do not let this compromise your ability to continue to create your art and to put yourself out there and to do what you were truly called to do and um and to live your truth be mindful of that 
Don't let anything pull you from that. And if that depression is, is kicking your back and you talk about it. All right, dance fam, I'm going to end here because I feel like I went on a tangent. <laughs> but I love you all and I'll talk soon. All right, dance fam. Bye-bye.